0: Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 13 through 18 this morning. As we're opening up there, I do thank uh, so many of you for your thoughts and prayers. Reaching out to me after uh, last week when I um, was not able to be here. Uh, I've yet to have a single symptom of uh, coronavirus, and so I'm past my quarantine phase here and so here I am to preach and listen I would understand if you didn't want to come give me a hug this morning we probably shouldn't anyway Uh, but uh, as far as we know and from what I understand uh, we're I'm free to continue on um, with life as normal as it can be we'll put it like that right and so as normal as my life can be anyway and then on top of that Uh, We're, of course, in the situation we're in. James, I I do appreciate you, though, your concern. It really meant a lot to me. I got so many phone phone calls and emails and texts and just other uh, pieces of of, uh, thoughts and prayers sent my way, and it really means a lot to me, and uh, I I feel your your love, and people would say, how are you feeling, preacher? I say, I've only got one symptom so far, and that's being annoyed. And uh, that I'm having to sit at home. And I love to hear Woody preach, but I was not happy about it last Sunday. And sitting at home, uh, not being able to preach. So, uh, here I am today. We'll see what happens. We'll see what I'll do with all that pent-up energy. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. If you have your Bibles open there, I'm going to ask you if you would, just stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. James writes... Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts... full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace let's pray oh lord our god would you open our hearts and minds today to receive your word and i god god i pray we would be changed by it it's in jesus name we pray amen you may be seated I uh, ran across a meme the other day. It's a little picture you might see shared around virally on um, Facebook or Twitter or wherever else. And uh, let's see. We're going to put it up on the screen for you to see here in just a second. And it was one of those things that was meant to be an insult. It was meant to insult Christianity. Here we go. I herded goats my whole life. I think that's a picture of Moses, supposedly. I've herded goats my whole life, so I wrote a book that explains the whole universe. Now, this is shared from like an atheist meme website. And what they're trying to do is insult the Bible, right? You see what they're trying to say? I herded goats my whole life, so I decided to write a book on the whole universe. And the caption that someone shared it with says, It seems like God would have maybe tried to find an expert. Now, this is the sort of wisdom that I think the world has. This is the sort of wisdom that I think we find in the world. It's the opposite of what we teach in the scriptures. You see, that meme was meant to be an insult, but I actually took it as a compliment as a Christian. I thought this is one of the best things you could say about the Bible, is that it's written by someone who herded goats. That is not a problem for me. It is not a problem for me. It is ridiculous to think that someone who herds goats cannot understand the world as God created it and God made it. And it's ridiculous to think that God would go out and look and try to say, let me find the smartest guy in the world and we'll let him write the Bible. You see, if that had been the case, it would have betrayed, it would have ruined the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of the Bible. And that's the fact that it is very simple and that it is an out-and-out In toto rejection of the wisdom of man. You see, memes like that and thoughts like that betray a sort of worldview that wishes that God had consulted with our wisdom. And we look out and we see atheists and secularists and all the other ists that we all sit around at night and worry about. And we think they're the ones who are doing this. They're the ones who are turning God's wisdom on its head. They're the ones who are rejecting God. They're the ones. They're the ones. They're the ones. And yet, apparently, we've taken all the mirrors out of our homes. Because so often, even we as believers reject the wisdom of God in our hearts and our lives. Now, imagine you were walking into a restaurant to go eat and you looked on the wall and you looked at the health rating. Now, I'm not going to throw a number out because I think if I throw a number out, y'all are going to think, uh, you know, that I, I'll just say uh, it would have to be really bad for me to turn around. Okay, if I know it's a fine place or whatever else, I'll say, you know, I don't, I don't really need the government to tell me what's safe or not or whatever else, you know, so I'm just going to, if it seems good, I'll, I'll eat there. But let's just say it's really bad. Like so bad, Brant wouldn't eat there. You know, like that bad. And because uh, I've been to some, I've been to some low score places with Brant. <laughs> Would you still eat there? If There's a D on the wall. Are you gonna stay and eat? What if you read a news article that said, "Hey, this grocery store turns out they're selling rotten meat," or every other package? of ground beef is horse at this grocery store who's loading up the minivan to go out and buy groceries there the next day surely not right that's good prices but you might have to eat horse I nobody really wants to do that right that's not where we are where does your wisdom come from if we're unwilling to do that with our food why would we do that with our wisdom Everywhere you turn, you're encountering different forms of wisdom. People who are purporting different types of wisdom. And oftentimes, from different sources and disparate sources, what they're trying to tell you is, this is the way God thinks. If you ever hear someone telling you how God thinks, and they're pointing at you say, saying, now this is how God thinks, and their other finger's not in the Bible, I would turn off the TV or walk away. Because we know how God thinks from the scriptures. My question for you this morning is this, is my wisdom from the world or is my wisdom from the Lord? Do I have wisdom that's coming from below, that's fleshly, that's earthly? James says it, not me. He says it's demonic wisdom. Or is my wisdom from above? This morning, I want to point you to three truths that I think will help you discern the source of your wisdom. I, I, I think so often the last time we were together and I preached here uh, we talked about the way that our tongue can often so often get us into trouble and I think James is showing the way that if you really want to see a difference made in the way you live, the way you talk, the way you behave then it needs to start with where you're getting your wisdom. Three truths that will help you evaluate and discern the source of your wisdom to help you think through whether or not the sort of life you're living is a life that's rooted in the wisdom that comes from God, therefore, through the Scriptures. Here's the first point this morning. Godly wisdom produces meekness. Godly wisdom produces meekness. Look what what verse 13 says. Who is wise and understanding among you? That's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question for us to consider. In fact, so often, that is a big question we're asking in our society even now, right? As we're trying to figure out, raise your hand if you've got all this stuff figured out, right? Nobody. And you can tell me what all this stuff is. There's plenty of stuff to try to figure out, right? Now, there may be a table full of men at Jack's somewhere in Alabama that actually could raise their hand there, but I've not met them yet, right? Who is wise and understanding among you? How do we figure that out in the world? Well, we want to look on the wall and see how many degrees there are. We we want to try to figure out, is this person intelligent? Do they show signs of intelligence? Do they show signs of wisdom? Is this the kind of person who displays what they know? And what do you want to do when you know you know? When you think you're the one who's wise and who has understanding, what, what, what's the first impulse all of us have when we know? We want to tell, don't we? We, we want to let make sure folks know we are wise and that we are understanding. Throughout history, mankind has conceived of ways to demonstrate how smart and how wise and how great we are. Who is wise an understanding among you by his good conduct. How do we demonstrate knowledge and how do we demonstrate wisdom biblically? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. I've never once in my life seen a church fight that happened. That wasn't rooted in the fact that somebody thought that they were the wisest and most understanding person in the room and they refused to handle it with meekness, with good works. I've seen a lot of church fights where somebody thought they were the most wise and understanding in the room and they decided they'd make everybody know it. And if everybody wouldn't listen and everybody wouldn't do what they said, you know what they'll do? Get their ball and go home. I've seen a lot of balls leave the church in the hands of people who are puffed up with the pride of their own knowledge how do we determine wisdom in biblical knowledge? Who actually is wise and understanding? First, we see it in good conduct. Biblical wisdom recognizes that at some point or another, what we know must turn into what we do. You heard that before? Did you notice that's something that James talks about? Our faith must be producing good works. So if you're wise and understanding as well, Not only will James not let us have a theoretical faith, he will not let us have theoretical knowledge. Not even theoretical knowledge of the Bible. Now, I think everyone here knows something about me. I think you know that I'm passionate about you getting this word in your brains. Right? I think everybody here knows that, sees that, and recognizes that. I don't think anyone here could say that I disparage education. In fact, I'm in the great travails of education again, In these very days, I'm working on a a doctor of ministry degree. And so I'm not anti-education by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, one of the things we say in our household all the time is that education has intrinsic value. It's something that's worthwhile in and of itself. There's no question about that. And yet, biblical knowledge, theological knowledge, the knowledge of God must produce good conduct. It must produce some sort of of works. But I think so often we get two-thirds of the way there in this equation. We recognize that we ought to be wise and we ought to know things about God and then we recognize it ought to come out in good works but then we stop short of the last part of the equation and what is produced there is something I've seen a lot in my life and something I've done and something I'm tempted to do all the time and it's what I call Piety theater. Piety theater. Have you ever met someone who was very godly and wanted you to know it? I'm sure you have, haven't you? So so often, I think, in the modern Christian world, we're more worried about looking godly than we are about being godly. I, I think we're more worried about demonstrating who we are on the inside than being what God wants us to be on the inside. And you know what the Bible says? When that's what we're worried about, when we are worried about a sort of piety theater that is more worried about the appearance of godliness than the power therein, when we're more worried about what's seen on the outside than what God's actually doing on the inside, then we have missed the point of the gospel. And the Bible is showing us here that we are not actually doing what we ought to do when we are wise and understanding and we have good works and good conduct because the Bible says what? What does the Scripture teach us? By His good conduct, let Him show His works in the meekness of wisdom. Don't you believe that one day God is going to turn over every stone? That every hidden thing will be known in those days? Won't it be enough for you if you're truly godly in your heart to let God let other people see that? In such a way that you don't have to worry about it today, isn't it important for you to consider then even the example of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, wouldn't it have been easy for the Lord Jesus to go throw his weight around all the time, just constantly be telling people, "You know who I am, right? You know who owns this place? Yeah, so, so Eliezer owns this place, right? No, no, no. Do you know who owns Eliezer?" My daddy, right? It it would be so easy for Jesus to throw his weight around all the time. And yet, what did the Lord do? He came in meekness. He came in meekness. He says that his very heart is, is defined by him being gentle and lowly. True godly wisdom will result in sincere humility, it will be less and less about you and more and more about the Lord. We must fight the temptation to be anything other than meek and parade that as godliness. Second of all, godly wisdom rejects worldly wisdom. Godly wisdom rejects worldly wisdom. Godly wisdom produces meekness. And then second of all, godly wisdom rejects worldly wisdom. It's it's important for us as we move through this passage to have a good platform of understanding that this is not about demonstrating to others how much we know and how much we've rejected the world. Oh, you've only rejected the world that much. I've rejected the world this much. We must be meek in our godliness. Godly wisdom rejects worldly wisdom. Look at what James teaches us. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false, to the truth. There is a wisdom that comes from the world. And and James says the provenance of this wisdom, the origins of this wisdom, it's earthly wisdom. That is, it's wisdom that's not rooted in who God is. It, It comes from us. It's collective. It's earthly. It's unspiritual, he says. That is, it's not rooted in spiritual realities that God has revealed to us in the Scriptures. This sort of earthly wisdom, ungodly wisdom, is rooted in unspiritual realities. The Bible says it's demonic wisdom. There's a devilish nature to wisdom that is not rooted in Christ. Wisdom that we've not received from the Lord. And it has terrible characteristics. It's got a bad source, but it's also got bad characteristics. Notice the way that James describes this sort of wisdom. He says, verse 15, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. What's he saying? What's he really driving at? What he's saying is, okay, if we're trying to figure out who's wise and who's understanding, who who needs to lead and help set the pace for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Who who needs to lead and help set the pace for our own lives? And we look around and we say, okay, who is wise and understanding? James says there are going to be people, essentially, who think that they're wise and understanding, and the way that they're going to demonstrate it is by being the opposite of meek. They're going to be boastful and prideful, and they're going to say, oh, wait, did I just hear... Did I hear someone needs a spiritual guide in this life? Well, look no further, my friend. It's me, the wisest and most understanding man you know, right? He's saying there are always going to be people like that who say things like, Oh, sure, I can help you. Oh, you're struggling. Let me step in. It's not meekness. But he says if you do that, you are actually boasting and being dishonest toward the truth. You're betraying the truth because in your heart you actually have jealousy and selfish ambition. It's not that that person wants to be a spiritual guide for someone so much so as that they don't want someone else to be a spiritual guide. They don't want someone else to have influence. And James says, "Even though this may look like godliness, even though this may look like that, it's actually unspiritual. In fact, it's even demonic. And it produces bitter fruit. And literally, worldly wisdom is bitter. It's jealous. It's boastful. James is painting a picture of a life that's always thinking about what it deserves, what it doesn't have, and what unfairness it is experiencing. Now, I'm a millennial. I'm a, I'm a middle-aged millennial, I guess. And uh, so my, my generation's millennials. And I, if, I, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard millennials called snowflakes, I could retire early. And uh, I've heard it, and every time you call a millennial a snowflake, you're calling me a snowflake. And I want you to know my feelings are very hurt about it, and I'm not going to preach until everyone apologizes. <laughs> no, we have this idea, though, in our society that, that there are certain people that are snowflakes, but I would argue that we're all snowflakes. I would argue that we are all thin-skinned and we are all focused on ourselves. From birth by nature. Right? You ever, have you ever seen a baby pass a bottle to another baby? No, you haven't, have you? No, we are naturally self centered. We, we are born that way. You have to teach kids to share, you don't have to teach kids how to hoard. It's a life that's always thinking about what it deserves, what it doesn't have. It's bitter. There's no bitterness like the bitterness that feels like life isn't fair. Constantly thinking about it. Every time one of my children say, that's not fair, I say, we don't say that sentence in this house. We don't think like that. That's not how we think. That's not how we live. We're not constantly thinking about what we don't have. We are constantly thinking about what we have been given by God. We have so much more than what we deserve. And so we're characterized by jealousy and, and bitterness and self-centeredness. And if we're not careful, it produces what the Bible calls disorderliness and all sorts of vile practices. Disorderliness carries with it this idea of a chaotic frenzy of fighting. And we've seen homes, families, churches, other groups who are characterized as such And just a small dose of humility Would be such a balm and such a cure for that disorderliness. And this idea of vile, all sorts of vile practices, is just the idea of a sort of meanness in every aspect of life. Now, here's what I want you to do evaluate your life, your speech, your conduct, your social media accounts, your conversations at home, the way you speak to your significant other and your children. The way you talk to people who who you think don't really know who you are. Those moments when you feel sort of anonymous. Your relationships. And ask yourself, how is my life characterized? Am I always measuring? Some of you are adult children and you're always measuring to make sure that your parents treated you and all your siblings in exactly the same way all the time. That's a recipe for misery. What about your speech? Are you constantly talking about how you didn't get enough? There's some folks I, I talk to. I mean, they, they can't even go out to eat without saying that it wasn't sufficient for them and for what they deserve. They can't do anything. Ask yourself, where is my wisdom coming from? Evaluate your life. Evaluate these things. Try to make the application of the gospel here and say, am I getting my wisdom from the Word? Am I being influenced by the gospel? Because godly wisdom rejects worldly wisdom. But finally, the last point is this. Godly wisdom produces peace. Godly wisdom produces peace. You see, sometimes I'm afraid that we have reduced godliness down to mere rule following. As long as I've got 80% of the rules that I think are important checked off, then I'm honoring the Lord in all of my life. I think so often that's what we reduce. We sort of dumb Christianity down to a sort of mere rule following. But that is not the sum total of what it means to follow Jesus. Now listen, don't mishear me. There are rules you need to follow, okay? There are things in the scriptures that are objectively true and there are objective commands and when God says you do it, you do it. I'm trying to wiggle out of this. Reality. But so often I think that we simply say do not handle, do not touch, do not taste and call it a day. As long as I'm doing this, this, this and this and not doing that, that, that and that that I'm just fine. And what I think is missing I think one of the great aspects of sanctification that is missing in the church today, and at least in my own process of sanctification over the years, one of the things I feel like I downplayed and missed for a long time is Christ-likeness. Are you living in a Christ-like way? Consider the wisdom of God. What does he say? But the wisdom from above, where does it come from? It comes from... Above And what is it characterized by? It's pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. Think about these beautiful characteristics. The wisdom from above is pure. And it's so important to be pure, to keep oneself, as James says, unstained by the world. And, and so we're not ruling out that there must be a sort of godliness, a holiness of life. But on top of that, notice the other things he says. He says it's peaceable. It's one thing to think you're keeping yourself unstained by the world, and yet it's another altogether to be peaceable. The Bible doesn't call us, the, the Bible doesn't call us to be prudes. The Bible calls us to be peaceable. Then here's another word that's used here. It's gentle. It's gentle. I, I have not spent enough time in my life thinking about the necessity of gentleness. And it's all the more important for us in these days, as we live in sort of a takedown culture and a cancel culture, to ensure that we're not being takedown Christians. I want to confess, I, I, especially in my younger years, early on in my f- journey with the Lord, early on in my education, in my pursuit of holiness, and in my pursuit of biblical knowledge, and what I thought was a pursuit of holiness, and what I thought was a pursuit of doctrinal purity, a lot of the time I torched relationships, close relationships. I torched friendships. I torched people that Jesus loves. I, I'm confident. I've had moments here as the pastor of this church where being right doctrinally, gave me license to not be gentle pastorally. And for that, I hope you all will forgive me if there's ever been a moment where you felt like you were a bruised reed or a smoldering wick that was broken or snuffed out by a young bull of a pastor. I hope you would forgive me for that. Because we have to recognize that we must be gentle as Christians. Now, you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, You think about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is hardly the example of modern American machismo, right? Now, some people want to make him like that. but You don't see that necessarily in the scriptures. But you do see the strongest, most manly man who ever lived in the history of the world, and yet he was gentle. He was gentle. The Bible says that godly wisdom is open to reason. Now, listen, I hope you've clamped your minds down tight on the truth of the Bible and yet, at the, other, at the other end of the spectrum, I hope you'd be careful not to close your mind to everything. To be open to reason. To not always fall down on your first assumptions. It's full of mercy. It's full of good fruits. It's impartial. It's sincere. It's the opposite of a life that's lived according to worldly wisdom, where we cordon off into our parties, and we cordon off into our groups, and we... <clears throat> Break off into our tribes and we say, there's nothing good over there. There's nothing good that can come from there. Over here we say, there's nothing good that can come from over there. That's all desperately evil over here. And over here we are quite good where the Bible says that we are all shut up in sin and we all need one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. His wisdom is not our wisdom, but it produces righteousness. And James says that in doing this, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest is sown. So often in the Bible, when we think about a harvest, we hear about one that's been reaped. And yet here, I think James is talking about a harvest that's being sown. In other words, when we sow this sort of godly wisdom in our lives, when we sow this sort of godly wisdom in our churches, when we, when we sow this sort of godly wisdom in our homes, it's a guarantee that there will be a harvest of righteousness, that the Word will grow and sprout up and bring life to our lives, and it will make peace in our lives. I know for a fact that some of you do not have peace in your lives. And so I ask you, are you a peacemaker? The Bible says a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so godly wisdom will not lead you all the time to be a pugilist. I I see Christians out there, famous Christians, and all they ever do is fight. The only thing you ever hear from them is what everyone's doing wrong. And listen, Jesus has a lot of things to tell us about what we've done wrong, and yet the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the one who came to make peace. Godly wisdom leads you to be a peacemaker. Are you stirring things up, or are you making peace? And perhaps you're the kind of person who sees themselves as a capital V, very good Christian. And you are the kind of person who sees a meme from an atheist, and you think, I would never mock the one who wrote the Bible. I would never embrace the world's wisdom like those other people do. But I ask you today this question. Are you embracing the world's wisdom in other ways? Are you a peacemaker? Are you gentle? Are you showing your wisdom through meekness? Perhaps, perhaps, You've got more growth to do than you thought. This morning, you may need to spend some time repenting. You may be a believer. You may say, Pastor, I just need a few moments to turn back to the Lord from some of the wickedness that I've allowed to seep into my life, even unknowingly. I want you to know here in a moment, you're going to have a few moments to reflect on this sermon and, and you pray to the Lord during this time. Second of all, you may be an unbeliever. You may say, I've never trusted Jesus. You come catch me after this service. You reflect on the gospel even now. And after this service, I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to be a member. I mean, for you to be saved, for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to stay there in your pew and reflect. If you need someone to talk to, catch me after the service. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for a wonderful day among your people. We thank you for the gospel that transforms our life. And God, we thank you for the wisdom that you've given us from above. And God, I pray that we will apply it in our hearts and lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.